Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Picture this. You're driving on the highway when you get pulled over. The police rifle through your car, and then they help themselves to any cash they find, pushing you to sign a waiver that relinquishes your rights to the money. They say if you don't sign, you could be looking at years in prison. Sounds crazy? Well, it's actually a long-standing process throughout the country. And as journalist Bill Freivogel discovered, it's alive and well in Missouri. Local police agencies routinely seize large amounts of cash without ever charging suspects. They use that money to build new headquarters or buy military equipment or, in one case, even a margarita maker. <laughs> it's called asset forfeiture. And Freivogel has been covering this issue in depth in the past year in a series called Taken. Those stories were reported in conjunction with the Pulitzer Center on Crisis Reporting, and they are now live on the St. Louis Public Radio website. The state of Missouri has had a law for decades aimed at cracking down on abuses of this practice, but law enforcement agencies have found a way around these reforms. And Bill Freivogel is here today to talk to us about what's going on with all this. Uh, Bill is a professor at the Southern Illinois University Carbondale School of Journalism. And of course, regular listeners um, will know Bill as a member of our legal roundtable because he's also a lawyer. So Bill, welcome back to the show. Hi. So what's your sense? How often is asset forfeiture being used locally? Well, uh, an example would be St. Charles County. Uh, th there were 39 cases this past uh, year in which people were stopped right around mile marker 2004, um, which is uh, uh, out in western St. Charles County. And uh, uh, they were stopped for the police thought they looked uh, thought they looked suspicious if they're they maybe were driving a, a rental car. Uh, maybe they had information ab about them. They were driving in a funny manner. Uh, then they look for a some sort of a uh, uh, traffic problem. Maybe they're uh, following a car too closely or they get too on that rumble strip on the right of the highway, pull them off, start asking questions. If their stories don't hang together, then they pursue it. In St. Charles County, what they, they have a practice of taking uh, the, the people they're suspicious of to a place called Superior Towing, which is not far away from mile marker 204. And so then if at this towing lot, um, they will uh, tell the people they have stopped. Uh, generally, they will have found uh, large amounts of cash, 10000 20000 $100,000 worth of, of cash. And they'll tell them, uh, look, you know, if you, don't, if you don't waive your ownership of that property, uh, you and your you're 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 going to be in jail for a long time. It's going to be a long time till you see your family. Hmm. Uh, so uh, uh, lawyers uh, like Justin Gelfand is from St. Louis County, a former federal prosecutor himself, say this is a really coercive kind of uh, interrogation process. I mean, because you're just here in a, a tow lot. In a tow, in a tow lot, right? I mean, it's you 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 hear about police, you know, a person being taken in to a um, to a headquarters, uh, to a you know police department for for questioning, but you don't hear them being taken to a private tow lot, and then their car being sort of taken apart, and then these handy uh, waivers. I'm waiving ownership of anything in the car. Uh, are are provided to the people to sign away their property. And you said in, in St. Charles County, I believe you said 39 times this happened 39 last year? 39 times it ha happened last year, about $2.6 million dollars. Uh, was involved. Uh, no char no criminal charges were filed in any of those cases. Uh, the money is then sent along uh, to the federal government. It's called the Federal Equitable Sharing Program. Um, and the, the local police jurisdiction gets back 80%. By sending it along to the federal government, the provisions of state law 
uh, are washed away. Uh, so so the, state, the state has a very, uh, w- would seem on its face to be a, a, a really tough law. It says uh, police can't take uh, people's property uh, unless they have a, there's a state crime, you know, proof beyond a reasonable doubt. You'd actually have to charge them with this to, crime. You'd actually have to charge them. And, uh, and the money should go to the schools. Hmm. Uh, but once you've washed those requirements away, then there doesn't have to be proof beyond a reasonable doubt, just uh, preponderance of the evidence, 50 percent plus a fraction. Uh, and uh, the money goes back, 80 uh, percent of the money then goes back from the federal government to the local police uh, organization to use as, use as uh, permitted. So this is where we're seeing things like the famous margarita maker. Um, they don't have to give the money to the schools. It's just going into their own pockets. Now, I looked at uh, three years uh, ending in 2017, and two cents on the dollar went to the, went, went to the state school, to schools. Wow. Uh, all, almost all the rest of it ended up in the hands of the police agency. So the problem with this, according to the critics, is it gives the police an incentive uh, an incentive to try to seize cash from people on the highway, uh, in order to so, because then they can use that cash. This is giving more money for their department. More money for their department, so they have an incentive to stop people. Now it's interesting. You talk about how this state law um, is seems like a pretty good law that it's it's got the right purposes here, and my understanding from reading your series was this was an attempt to, to reform this process. Right, right. And yet it just hasn't worked. Yeah, way back in 1991, a couple of former colleagues of mine, uh, Lou Rose and Tim Poor, wrote a series called Hooked on the Drug Laws that showed that police departments were getting a lot of money from these stops. And so the legislature passed uh, Bill Wayne Good, who was known for his good government uh, uh, proposals, got it all through. They had this requirement of proof beyond a reasonable doubt, money to the schools. Uh, the fed, uh, the, the head of the federal drug uh, agency went in to see uh, Governor Carnahan said, please veto this bill. Uh, Mike Wolf told me this story. Uh, who, the former Supreme former Court Justice. former Supreme Court Justice, who at that time was uh, a lawyer for Carnahan. Uh, um, Mike said, you know, it doesn't seem to me like the drug war is working that well anyway. Let's not veto it. And they didn't. But, but it didn't take long to work to get a, a workaround. With this federal program. Yeah. And in order to go under the federal program, they just have to come up with some federal crime that might possibly be implicated? Yeah. I mean, there has to be some connection. Uh, there has to be some sort of federal connection. But like just if a car has come from Illinois, that's enough. That's enough because it's enough. crossing state lines. And, 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 and the amount of proof they need is really not that great. I mean, they're either like 50.1 percent. So that's like maybe this person fits the profile of a drug courier. They're driving a rental car. They look nervous. Their story doesn't hang together. Bingo. That's Or a drug dog sniffs. Uh, they often ask, you know, will you permit the drug dog to sniff the cash we found? Um, and uh, if the drug dog reacts positively to a smell of, say, marijuana, uh, then bingo. Again, that's enough to take the money. Now, you mentioned Justin Gelfand. He's a former federal prosecutor who's now in private practice, and he has some serious concerns about the process. But the idea that law enforcement should somehow have the right to take things from people and then keep them for their own benefit, that's insane. And that's Justin Gelfand. So the U.S. Supreme Court, they must have, this must have come to their attention at some point. They're okay with this happening. 
Well, maybe and maybe not. <laughs> there was a case uh, way back in the 1990s in which they said it involved uh, John and Tina Bennis. John Bennis was cheating on Tina in the family car, uh, consorting with prostitutes. The police took the car. Tina said, hey, I'm the victim here. And the car is half mine. The Supreme Court said the car is a criminal. Hmm. I mean, this is the whole kind of legal fiction that this is based on, that the property is the criminal. And so the car is the criminal. They voted 5-4 to say uh, that, uh, Tina, you don't have any ownership of that car anymore. But then just this past year, earlier this year, Justice Ginsburg uh, wrote an opinion for a unanimous Supreme Court in a case involving a fellow by the name of Tyson Timms. Tyson Timms had a Land Rover. He sold some uh, heroin out of the Land Rover. He was convicted uh, and, and fined $10,000, but the police also took the Land Rover, which was worth $40,000. So the question was, isn't that an excessive fine in violation of the Eighth Amendment of the Constitution? Indiana said, hey, we don't have to follow the Eighth Amendment of the Constitution. Supreme Court said, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> and uh, uh, so, uh, so, yes, states have to follow the um, excessive fines clause. Well, um, Shamit Dogan, a representative from Baldwin, said, well, if, if, if that's the case, you know, surely taking uh, $40,000 or $100,000 from someone where you don't have any, any proof of a crime at all, uh, that surely has to be an excessive fine. And yeah, have they dealt with that dichotomy so, at all? So he, he got a bill uh, through his House committee, which, uh, uh, but then uh, ran into sort of a silent uh, or a quiet police lobbying campaign. The police didn't actually come and testify before his committee, but they went around to other legislators and Holly Rader, a Republican head of the Rules Committee from Sykeston, uh, killed the bill. Uh, she said, work with the police, try to work out a work out a compromise. Police didn't want to compromise. Huh. So they're at this point sort of saying, we just like things the way they are. Yeah, yeah, right. So we actually have some audio that you gathered in your reporting of Representative Dogan talking about his concerns about the program and the reaction that his criticism got from its proponents. They got offended when I used the phrase policing for profit. And I, I found that curious because I don't know what else you call it when you have police who refer to this as pennies from heaven, when you have people who are uh, subject to having their property taken and given to law enforcement because they circumvent the system where this money is supposed to go to public schools. The uh, auditor's report uh, from Auditor Galloway this year showed that we had a record number of funds seized, $9 million, only 1% of that money ended up being done through the state forfeiture program. One percent went back to the public schools. That's Representative Shama Dogan, who would really like to reform these laws. Um, he mentions this audit from State Auditor Nicole Galloway. Um, was she overall critical of how this is being deployed? Well, she makes really clear in her audit that it's just her job to report these numbers, that this is not an audit looking at, you know, is this a good practice or a bad practice? Uh, she just reports how much money was seized and um, uh, it, it by, by jurisdiction. And then we filed a bunch of Freedom of Information Act, uh, Sunshine Law requests, uh, which enabled us to locate, to, to get the details on uh, where are the stops occurring? You know, that, that's why we know about the mile marker 204. And, uh, and w how many of the cases are resulting in, in criminal charges? None. None. Uh, <laughs> wow. 
But, you know, I mean, on one hand, critics of the program, they do have um, some really good arguments. There's also some people who have defended this program. And one of them is St. Charles County Prosecutor Tim Lomar. He defended the process to you and your associates. Let's listen. The reality is we're not taking uh, property from innocent people. We are taking illegal proceeds that don't belong to these people. Uh, these are all proceeds of drug trafficking. And that's St. Charles County Prosecutor Tim Lomar. Do you think he has a point? Well, I think he has a point. Uh, and I, th I think probably a lot of the proceeds uh, that they seize are uh, from drug uh, mules or taking money back uh, from from the drug transaction. It's interesting that the that these uh, law enforcement agencies set up their stops along the westbound lanes because they want the cash, not the drugs. So <laughs> the drugs get to our communities, uh, but the but the cash uh, gets to the police departments. But yeah, I think he, I think he does have a point. But then you know, Justin Gelfand and other critics will say, um, well, you know, yes, there are some uh, drug couriers who are getting stopped. On the other hand, a lot of innocent people are getting stopped. Uh, and the people don't realize how many people really are not in the ba the banking economy that mm. they actually do uh, carry large amounts of cash with them and are not drug couriers. You know, maybe they're going to buy a car, maybe they're uh, going to buy a business, maybe it's proceeds from a small business that they run. And and he finds that a lot of these folks maybe maybe they are illegal immigrants. Did uh, you see any um, racial dynamics in terms of the data that you found? Yeah, about half of the cases in, uh, had uh, had uh, sur surnames of uh, Hispanics or other uh, uh, other uh, immigrant possibilities. In Phelps County, uh, we found about two-thirds of the people who are stopped there, which is it's on Highway 44, another uh, big area where this, uh, this, uh, this police tactic is used. Uh, we found about two-thirds of the people had Hispanic surnames. Hmm. Okay. So maybe they'd point to the fact that, yeah, these are people involved in the drug trade, but it also might be a case where a lot of people are getting pulled over who are unbanked. Right. As you say. Unbanked, yes. Now, you've now done a year's worth of stories um, on civil asset forfeiture in Missouri. Do you see more work to be done here journalistically, or have well, you written it, the book? It, certainly, <laughs> the, the, the law certainly hasn't, hasn't been uh, changed. Um, uh, Tony Lavasco is sort of taking over for uh, Shamed Dogan. He's got a bill, a House Bill 1776. Uh, that would, it wouldn't keep the police from seizing the cash, but it would keep the cash from coming back from the federal government to the police uh, agency. Uh, so, so it would then go to the schools? Uh, so then actually, I, I guess if the it would depend on what the local agency did. They would no longer have the incentive to send it through the federal government because that's how they get it back. Okay. So if they didn't have that incentive, maybe they wouldn't send it through the through the schools, and then they'd have to go through the state process. But and then they have almost, to charge people. With, with then the they have to charge people the crime. But in almost all these cases, they don't have evidence of a state crime mm -hmm. because because it's not illegal. It's not a violation of Missouri law to drive around with a lot of money. Yeah. So that effort, that bill is is currently pending. 
That, but yeah, it's it's been introduced. There's no, no nothing is scheduled on it. I mean, we're just at the beginning of the legislative session, but it's going to be an uphill uphill climb, I think. Another uphill <laughs> climb on this issue. Well, Bill Freivogel, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And if people want to find those stories, um, I know you have a homepage for them that's there on the St. Louis Public Radio site. Right. Okay. You want to check that out? It's called Taken. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, ninety point seven KWNU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.